This episode is brought to you by the generosity of our listeners. One of the things I tell people, if you're trying to spark your own creativity, start doing things differently. That's Phil Cook, author and CEO of Cook Pictures on this episode. Put your faith to work. This is the Bold Idea Podcast with ideas, interviews, and inspiration to bring your bold ideas to life. Here are your hosts, Larry Gates and Armin Asadi. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Bold Idea Podcast. This is your co-host, Larry Gates. And Armin Asadi. And we're here to bring you another episode to put your faith to work and to bring your bold ideas to life. And uh, Armin, we have, we have a very favorite guest on our program here today. He's setting a record. Phil Cook has been helping major national churches and ministries impact the culture through media. He is the CEO of Cook Pictures, an internationally known writer and speaker. He's produced media programming in nearly 50 countries around the world. He's the executive producer of Let Hope Rise, the Hillsong movie that was in theaters last fall. He's the producer of The Insanity of God, a feature documentary that was aired nationwide. He's appeared on NBC, MSNBC, CNBC, CNN, Fox News, all over, the author of several books. Well, he's appeared with us on episode 23, Engaging Our Culture, and he's appeared with us on episode 55 with his co-writer, Jonathan Bach, to talk about how Christians lost their credibility and how we can get it back. And now I want to welcome back to the program the first to number three to be our third time guest on this show, Phil Cook. Welcome back to the Bold Idea Podcast. Well, number three, three strikes and you're out. I'm honored. This is great. I don't know if that's a good thing or not. <laughs> well, we, we just love having you on the program. You have so much to I'm, talk I'm about. Coming. This is a fun show. It, well, it, it's, it's a lot of fun for us. But Phil, we know that you travel kind of the world over. We want to kind of change gears today and kind of get right into the, the heart of what you do in working with so many organizations around the world. I mean, you basically, you're like the creative hive mind. I mean, you just kind of bring it all together. <laughs> And uh, I get your weekly blog post summaries and uh, you're like, always, I don't know how you put together such thought provoking content every day. You send out another post for your readers and you're really aimed around creativity and really how to spark creativity and how to lead creative teams and all of that. But I want to talk today with you. What we want to get engaged with you on is what does it take to inspire creativity in others? And, and then let's draw that to ourselves. How do we inspire that in our teams? That's an incredible question. And it's an important question. I, you know, the, it's interesting that there, a recent study was done of CEOs around the country. And the single greatest thing they look for in a new hire is creativity. It, it ranked above integrity. It ranked above character. It ranked above skill at your job. People are desperately today, particularly CEOs, leaders of companies, ministries, churches, nonprofits, uh, leaders are looking for creative people. And I think a lot of it comes out of the fact that we're we're so overwhelmed today. And, you know, the media choices, I think in one of our podcasts, we talk about the fact that the average person sees about 5,000 media messages a day. Yeah, I mean, that's just overwhelming. People are starting to shut down. And how do you reach people in that kind of world? And so suddenly creativity has become the currency of this generation. It's mm. become the currency of this culture. And um, so my, a big part of what I do is go in and teach organizations, whether it may be a church team or a nonprofit team or even a business team, the principles of how to be more creative. One, one of the things, let me say this, one of the things that 
that I think there's a great myth out there, and that is that whenever I teach, I'll teach, uh, for instance, at a, at a Hollywood studio or a television network or some, some other place like that, and about a third of the audience typically says they're just not creative. They, they will raise their hand and say, I was not born creative. Well, let me tell you, if anyone's listening today who feels that way, let me tell you it's a complete myth. There is an absolutely no research that indicates people are born creative or not creative, or pretty much a blank slate. In fact, if you don't believe me, put a bunch of toddlers in a room. Just grab a bunch of toddlers, put them in a room together. They are all wildly creative. But what's interesting is that about six years old, suddenly our creativity starts dropping significantly. Isn't it interesting that the same year we start school, suddenly our creativity starts to drop. What, what does that say about what's wrong with our school system today? Something in there. Yeah, there's an indictment for sure. Yeah. So, but the point is, everybody is creative. Now, your creativity may be dormant. It may be lying asleep and you haven't used it for a while. And you may feel like you're more of a numbers person or a detail person. But the truth is, all of us can jack up our creativity. You may not be the most creative person in the room, but we can all be more creative at the way we approach life, approach our problems, approach our, our purpose and our destiny. So that, that's why I'm such a big advocate for creativity these days. People just don't really understand that we can all access it and we can all, we can all take our creativity to a whole nother level. Yeah. Now, before we dive into how we can do that, I, I want to jump back to what you said a minute ago, because you talked about creativity being the currency of our of our generation right now and that CEOs are putting a premium on that over integrity which I find astonishing yeah. but but let me ask you let's practically speaking like if a CEO or a leader is listening today how how do they discern that somebody that they're talking to is creative I don't think it's very di now it could be because I do this for a living but I don't think it's very difficult I, I think Part of the key is uh, you're looking for people that are not going to they, – they're just – they're not cut out of the same mold as everyone else. They don't necessarily dress the same way as everybody. They don't necessarily talk the same way as everybody. They're, they're pe uh, creative people generally have a wider variety of life experiences because they're curious. They're insanely curious. So I, I think the most interesting thing about creative people is they're pulling information from a lot of places. They see things that other people don't see. Well, in fact, it's funny. One of the things I tell people, if you're trying to really spark your own creativity, start doing things differently. You know, drive. And it sounds, sounds silly, but the truth is drive home a different way. Wear a different outfit. Don't read the same book. Stop watching the same kind of television programs. Don't eat the same kind of food. Just start switching things up, and you'd be amazed it, when you start just doing things differently. My wife is famous for suddenly having a brainstorm, and, and it starts with, you know, honey, let's move this chair over here, and the next thing I know, we've rearranged the entire house. And but it keeps you on your toes and it makes you constantly think of how, 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 you know, how would this look? How would that look? How would it be if we did this? So just starting things a different way, just just and, and, and like I say, drive to work a different way, come home a different way. Those kind of things can really be fundamental for helping re-energize your creativity. You know, my wife has a term for doing things that are uh, that shake things up a little bit and getting out of the rut of our thinking. Uh, she calls it neurobics, which I think is kind of <laughs> I like that. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, let's get your brain thinking you. differently than it was before. You know, I love that. And people hate change. Don't don't let me say this. Whenever you have a creative idea, in most cases, people will hate it before they love it. 
You know, mm-hmm. all great creative breakthroughs in history were reviled and hated before they were welcomed and adored. And um, I think you just have to get used to the fact that when you start being creative with your life, it's going to be a little bit, it, it could be, you, you could have some opposition, but it's so, so worth it because it suddenly opens up a whole new avenue of life <clears throat> that you never thought. And let me say this, the reason the opposition happened is, is because people hate change. People hate change. I, I wrote a book a long time ago called Jolt. And it was really about how to position yourself in this incredibly changing culture we live in. And one of the studies I found is that the vast majority of open heart surgery patients within two years go back to their old lifestyle, smoking, drinking, Mm -hmm. eating hamburgers, pizza, whatever, whatever got them into that place in the first place. Within two years, they go back. So if the threat of death doesn't make you change, what in the world will? So you start to see just how resistant so many people are to doing things a different way. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And you, you you bring up that interesting question, if the threat of death doesn't make you change, what does? When you've worked with leaders to try to implement change in their organization and to bring creativity into the organization, apart from the threat of death of their company, what do you <laughs> find being effective to have employees embrace the kind of change that you know, you're talking about here? Well, I, I, I always start small. You know, the, part of the problem with getting employees or team members to change is uh, the, the, a radical shift. Too many people, I, in fact, I was working in a, non, a big nonprofit organization just recently that brought in um, a, a chief operating officer. And this chief operating officer had been in the business world for years. He was very successful, uh, just a great, great, uh, brilliant guy. But he was a micromanager and he came in and wanted to completely change the culture at this nonprofit. And people cannot stomach a radical, huge change. You have to start small. For instance, um, I, you have to prove that the value of the end of the change is going to be worth the experience. You know, most people just they see the obstacle and they just it, that blocks them, that holds them back. And so you have to do a good job selling the fact that let me tell you something, this is going to be a struggle. It's going to take us three or four months to get through this. But when we do, let me tell you what life is going to be like on the other side. So you as a leader have got to be really good at selling your people change. And, and let me tell you something, it is a selling thing. Uh, people just are naturally resistant to things. And if you don't have the vision for where we're going to go, they're never going to catch it. And and you can't blame the people. It's not because people are stupid. It's not because your team is, is um, you know, stuck in a rut necessarily, but they're usually there because they just don't see the value of where this change is going to lead. And that's what gets them hung up. So how do you sell that change? Well, a lot of di- <laughs> you guys keep drilling down. That's why I like this program. <laughs> uh, you, you know what? It, it, you keep drilling down into the benefits. It's really about benefits. Um, if you're trying to switch insurance programs, if you're trying to do a new campaign for a client, if you're trying to do a new fundraising effort, whatever it may be, and trust me, at every organization, you have different challenges like that. I think the key thing is be very, very transparent. Be very transparent. I think if you ever mingle with, you know, John Maxwell, who's just a great leadership expert, says one of the single most important tasks for a leader is to walk through the factory. You just got to spend time with your people. And when you do that, particularly when you're trying to get them to change, you need to be extraordinarily transparent. They need to know that this is not a trick. This is not something that you're going to benefit from, but they're not going to benefit from. They need to know that there's really life on the other side of this shift. 
And by being transparent, it really makes a dramatic difference out there. And by the way, let me just throw this out there for any leader that may be listening. With social media, instant messaging, uh, email, in the world we live in today, word travels fast. And so we have to be transparent as leaders because you can't cover up. I had a I had a pastor one time that said, you know, Phil, it would probably be best if you didn't tell my congregation about my yacht. And, and I said, you're an idiot. I mean, number one, if they've got Google, they can download the, the title of the yacht. Yeah. And if they've got Google Earth, they can download a satellite photo of the boat sitting at the dock. And, you and see you on it, right? Huh? <laughs> and they'll see you on it. <laughs> they'll see you on it, yeah. And, and you cannot hide anymore as leaders. So whenever it's a change initiative or just any kind of leadership, we need to be more transparent than ever because we just can't hide anymore in this culture we live in. You know, I was thinking about your comment about change and the resistance to change and also coupling that with you, what you said right at the onset, that CEOs are looking for people who are creative. And I'm wondering if maybe part of the reason that creativity has risen to such an attractive trait among new hires or people that are looking to hire people is because they're looking for people who are unconventional, that will be willing to change, that will be able to be uh, receptive to change or in fact bring the change in the organization they're seeking. Is that possibly a connection? I agree. Very often, I, I've been in many meetings where a CEO or a leader, president, a leader said, maybe we should just get rid of all the people that don't want to change and bring in a new team who does. And so you, you do see that sometimes. That's why I think it's so urgent for employees and team members to realize that change is coming, whether we like it or not. It's going to happen whether we want it to or not. And so it's not about should we change? It's when will we change and how soon will we change? Because it is a train coming down the track. Now, let me tell you this. As far as leading creative people, uh, you mentioned that earlier. As far as leading creative people, let me give you a couple reasons why people fail at that. Because yeah, I think one of the that would be great. You know, a lot of the people listening to this podcast are frustrated because they have creative people on their team, but somehow they're not getting through. And I, I wrote recently on my my blog at philcook.com, I wrote a, a list of why pe leaders fail at leading creative people. And some of the some of the reasons I wrote down is controlling the team. Uh, if, if controlling the team is important to you, that will never work with creative people. And trust me, leaders like control. They want to see results. They want to have measurements. They want to have control. But with creative people, you've just got to be willing to trust and to let go. It doesn't mean you let them run wild, but it means you let go more than you probably would with a lot of other people because controlling them is not going to result in anything. And, and worse, I know leaders who micromanage their team. Uh, and that is the worst thing you could possibly do to a creative person is micromanage. Looking over their shoulder is just absolute disaster. Um, a big thing is leaders who don't believe creative people are – they don't take them seriously. For instance, I know leaders that just think, oh, you know what, they're not serious. Those creative people, they're weird. They like to have weird hours. Um, they're flaky. They're undependable. Let me tell you something. That is not the attitude for a successful leader of creative people. If that's your attitude, you need to move on and lead people in accounting or lead people on the sales team or lead people somewhere else because you've got to take creative people seriously because they're brilliant. Uh, you know, it's like it's not like it, some people describe leading creative people as herding cats. No, 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 no. It's more like herding tigers because these people can be unleashed and do remarkable things for your organization if you know how to do that. And, and let me tell you, the last thing that I would say about failing at creative leadership is never, ever, ever take credit for your creative team's work. I see this all the time where a leader, when the creative team does something brilliant, 
a, their leader will step in and take credit for it. I'm telling you that that will that they will never perform at that level again. Uh, have the security, you know, be secure and confident enough in your own leadership ability to let your creative team take credit for a brilliant idea. If you do that, man, that will give them such an incredible motivating spark. You just won't believe where it'll end. So that's a powerful, powerful thing. And not only let them take credit, but if things go wrong, be willing to take the bullet, yeah. be willing to defend your creative team's work. And um, a, a person who's willing to do that, he will get amazing things out of his team. It seems to me like when leaders do that, and at least when I've seen it happen, and when leaders do that, they forget that the team is creating the product or the service that they're taking pride in. And what the leader ought to take pride in is how they created the team, not in the product Very or service. Good. Yeah, it's like a coach. A coach yeah. can't go out and run the ball. Right. He's developing the team who That's can right. go out and run the ball. So they got the leader. In that case, the leader gets their eyes off of what they're trying to create. They think they're trying to create the product or the service. And really what they should be thinking about, what they're creating is the team. And, that is uh, so true. Yeah. And, you know, here's the other thing. Go to the bat for their tools. You know, if they need better computers, if they need better drawing tables, if they need a better workspace, if they need a better office, um, you go to bat to, for your team. And trust me, they will reward you well with amazing work. Mm -hmm. So if you're perceived by your team as a leader who will defend their ideas, who will encourage them and give them credit, who will go to the mat for them, I'm telling you, you will get some amazing things out of your creative people. This is the Bold Idea Podcast. Well, I mean, let's take a moment and give thanks where thanks are due. Come on. Yeah, absolutely. Everybody that's out there supporting this podcast so that it can exist, thank you because it would not exist without you. Oh, that is so true because this is a nonprofit endeavor. We don't make any income from it. Very nonprofit. <laughs> In fact, we, we uh, provide support to it. So we're so appreciative if you're joining with us through your tax deductible contribution to make this show possible. And if you do want to support and keep this bad boy going, then just go to boldideapodcast.com forward slash donate. Yeah. So now let's suppose you're not a leader and you don't have the you know authority over a group or whatever, but you're you're in a work group and and maybe your team is not as creative as it could be. It's not taking its game up to a, a, a level. Now maybe we blame the leader, maybe we blame the environment or whatever. But what could you do in a work group to maybe make that work group think more creatively? That's a brilliant, brilliant idea. I think you know I'm a big advocate of leading from the middle. Uh, and one of my first jobs in my career, I was working in for a for a network, a, a, a national television program, and I was directing the program. And I was in the middle. I wasn't the producer. I wasn't the owner. I wasn't a studio executive. I was just in the middle. And yet, I realized that the people above me were horrible, horrible leaders. People didn't like them. They didn't trust them. Uh, these leaders were taking credit for our ideas. And so people started turning to me. And I started learning in my 20s the value of leading from the middle. So if people are listening today who uh, are in that situation, um, the, people either turn to you because they trust you, they respect you, they like you, you're in a great position. And some of the things that that you can start doing in that kind of capacity is certainly, as you said a minute ago, be a coach. 
be a coach to the people around you. Let me tell you, people get beat up a lot and people get discouraged really easily. And if you're in a situation where you're in the middle, where you're on the team and you don't have official authority, and by the way, leadership is not official. You know, you're not a leader because you have a title. You're not a leader because you've got a raise. You're a leader because people will follow you. And you need to develop within yourself the skills and the techniques. I, I always tell people, be you know, people skills, learning people skills are more important than the skills it takes to do your job. Um, I don't care how I, I worked. I, I owned a, I was a partner in a commercial company a number of years ago and we did Super Bowl commercials and big national car spots and all kind of it was a comedy commercial company. And we had directors in that company who were brilliant, brilliant commercial directors. I mean, they did just amazing work. But they had absolutely no people skills. I mean, literally, I had to handle phone calls with clients for them. I had to be in meetings with them. They could not express themselves intelligently to clients, even though they were borderline geniuses. And so I cannot overexpress how important people skills are if you're in that role on the team. And um, I, I would say that one of the things you can do to help inspire the people around you is – be really specific. One of, the, one of the, the things I don't like about leaders of any kind or team members of any kind is when they respond to creative work and just say, well, I don't like it or that doesn't work or that's stupid. That, that doesn't tell me what's wrong with it. It doesn't tell me how to improve. It doesn't tell me specifically uh, how to fix it. So number one, be specific whenever you look at a creative you know, at the result of creative work, always be specific because it doesn't help just to say it's, it failed, it doesn't work, or I don't like it. Um, always be specific. The other thing is ask why, you know, if, if somebody does a creative project around you and you don't like it, or you don't understand, or you're not comfortable with it before you start to criticize, you say, okay, so tell me about your thinking. Why, why did you do it this way? Why, why did you approach it this way? Let them talk to you. And very often you'll be <clears throat> you'll be amazed that they saw something you never saw, and suddenly you'll realize that this is great, this is genius. Um, and even if you don't, you'll understand what their thinking was. That they were not to get you, they were not to undermine the company, they weren't idiots. No, they just had a different take on it. So always ask why. Uh, another thing I would say is be respectful to the other members of your team. Always be respectful to creative people, and that doesn't mean you let them walk over you by any means. Don't be a doormat, but at the same time. Respect who they are, respect their gifts, respect their talent, listen to why they did what they did. I think that's incredibly, incredibly important. And, and finally, I would say this, always, always find something to praise. I don't care how bad it is. And, and trust me, I've seen some, I just watched a documentary that uh, a, a friend of mine did, and it's the worst thing I've ever seen. I mean, it's horrible, horrible. But when I talked to him, I tried to find my best. I found some things in there that he did right to bring out. It may be very small. It may be micro, but but always bring that out. I, I, early in my career, I was hired by a big, big Hollywood producer to do a series of television commercial to, commercials to promote a big TV series he was doing. And I was living in the Midwest at the time. I flew to L.A., went to the studio, walked past his 12 secretaries, got in his office, put the scripts down, he read them, and he said, this is crap. Oh, he didn't say crap, he used the S word. And he said, this is the Stupid. worst thing I've <laughs> ever seen. I mean, he just went nuts on me. And But then he stopped and said, hey, but I've heard about you, and I've heard you're better than this. He said, I'll tell you what, mm. I'm going to a recording session, I'll be back in an hour, there's a conference room at the end of the table, there's paper, pencils, typewriter, the girls are down there, they'll help you do get whatever you need. 
And he said, but when I come back, I want to see different scripts. And uh, I went down there. I don't think I used a word from the old scripts. But when he came back, I showed him the new scripts. And he said, okay, now this is what I'm talking about. And it was a masterful way of saying, no, this does not work. I mean, he did not pull any punches. But at the same time, he said, but I've heard about you. And you're better than this. And that that lit me up. And so I realized, okay, I've got a reputation to, hold, to uphold. And I delivered what he needed. So find something to praise. That was a lesson that I absolutely never learned. Or excuse me, never forgot. That, that's good. And it's like praise even if it hurts. <laughs> yeah. And there's always something in there. Yeah. I mean, there's always something you can praise. And trust me, just a little bit of praise will make the criticism go down so much better. But what I love about that story is that he didn't, he didn't just dismiss you. He spoke into your potential you know, and, uh, and what he heard about your reputation, what he thought you were capable of doing because. Yeah. Of that. Yeah. Yeah. And he may be, have been, he may have completely been lying. I don't know, but, but it worked. It worked. That, yeah. It, worked. yeah. <laughs> it was very effective. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, can I talk to you about this tool that I've created? That yeah. I was going to ask people? you before we get into that, I want to kind of drive this now down. We've talked about as a leader and we've talked about being in a team leading from the middle, as you described it, let's yeah. talk, let's just spend a couple minutes on what does it take to do that personally? And I think what, what your tool is going to fit right into that. Yeah. Because I think uh, the greatest challenge creative people face is, you know, this balance between, um, routine, you know, having a, being on track and then having the freedom to to do your thing, to come up with great ideas. There was a book that came out um, uh, just a couple years ago that tracked the habits of the, it was like 220, the most creative people of the last couple hundred years. And it didn't, it didn't track what they wrote or designed or drew or sculpted. What It didn't track any of that. All it did was look at their daily schedule. And they discovered that the most creative people in the last 200 years are virtually slaves to routine. I mean, they have a schedule. They, they wake up at the same time in the morning. They eat the same breakfast. They go to work at the same time. They have lunch at the same time. They've just discovered that, you know, if you're a creative person, first of all, understand creativity is not about inspiration. It's about routine. You know, inspiration happens, but it doesn't happen very often and you can't control it. You never know where that great idea will come from. But what I've discovered is when you develop a routine about your life, if you attack the problem at the same time every day, have the right environment to do it in, get into a rhythm of this, suddenly, like priming a pump, the ideas are going to start coming. And so my frustration uh, you know, is in being a creative person was trying to find that. I tried, I'll tell you, one of the things I tried for a long time was to-do apps. You know, on my, my, I'm an early adopter. I love to-do apps on my, my computer and my mobile devices. And I've tried them all. I've, I went through Wonderlist and Trello and Things and Asana. You guys have probably tried them too. I've got yep. a folder on my computer with about 20 to-do list apps because I've tried them all. And I, I discovered that, you know, as a creative person, to-do list apps are too easy. You know, with Things is the one that I kind of landed on. Uh, it's With a click, of a, a click of a button or a click of a mouse, I can make a, an email a to-do. I can make a section of a website a to-do. I can make a document a to-do. And, and I suddenly looked up and I had probably 150 or 200 to-dos on my list. And when you have that, you just shut down. I mean, it's overwhelming. And yeah. as a creative person, I want a place to dump ideas, but I was getting stuck. And so about... A year ago, I decided to try a print planner. It was really weird. I decided to go analog in this digital world. 
And um, I decided to print plan. I don't know if you guys have ever used them, but they're really, it's kind of an interesting thing that, that it helps me to focus on what I really need to do. And I tried them all. I tried, I just ordered a ton of them and I found that I, there were two extremes and creative people will get this. One was just blank pages like a moleskin or some of the others, but, but there you have to create your own to-do list and draw your own lines. I don't have time for that. But on the other list, there's these planners that just have too much to fill out. I mean, they're asking you, what's the magical moment you experienced today? What's your daily affirmation? I found one that wants you to write down what you ate over the weekend and how do you plan to relax over the weekend? I mean, I don't have time for that. I've got to actually do work. <laughs> and so we developed, I got the team together and we developed a kind of a streamlined um, planner and, and we went to a publisher. It's called Unique, the ultimate planner for creative professionals. And um, it helps you track your three biggest priorities for the day. It helps you track some personal things because most creative people forget about their personal life. That's our problem. We forget to go get the birthday card for our wife or go pick up the birthday cake or go to get the prescription at the drugstore. So there's a space for personal things. And then there's a thing, a space for key calendar events. You know, it's interesting that most planners have full on calendars. I don't need that. I I'm sharing a calendar. Our team has Google Calendar. Most people now are using an online calendar. And uh, we don't need that and to, you know, take up all these pages in a planner. And so each day I do put a section for key calendar events. I've got the podcast, you know, the Bold Idea podcast to do today. So I do want to jot that down so I don't forget that. Even mm -hmm. though it's on my shared calendar, I want to make a note of it in my planner. And then there's another area for task. And then on the right side of the page, it's a full-on empty page for you to design, draw, dream, whatever, whatever in the world you feel like you want to do. And there's a little motivational quote at the bottom of the page, but it's it's really designed to be a streamlined way to help creative people stay on track and yet give them freedom to do their thing. So I, I apologize. I didn't mean to go into that long rant, but I'm so excited about it because it's just now come out and I think it's going to help unleash this incredible wave of creativity in people who have either felt like they were too restricted with too many rules or they didn't have enough. I think we all need a little bit of rules. You know, creative people need a little bit of structure. And once you have that structure, then you can relax and you can let your ideas flow. So there you go. That's my unique planner. I'm really excited about it. Well, I'm excited about it too. And I'll tell you, because you just described my journey. I have uh, a bunch, I've had all those to-do apps and actually a couple more that you didn't mention on my computer and on my phone. Uh, things being the one that I actually gravitated to. In fact, I just upgraded <laughs> to the latest version of it because I was going to try it again. Um, but I switched to to paper and I also did the paper systems too with the same thing. There, there's either not enough structure or too much structure or the structure that's there is emphasizing the things that aren't right for me. Yeah. Um, so I'm looking forward to to getting my hands on the unique planner that you you put together. Well, it's it, it's interesting because I still use my to do apps, and I'm, I'd encourage you to do the same thing. I use them as a dumping ground, and trust me, creative people like you know what I'm talking about because you know we just have ideas everywhere in the car, driving around. You have ideas, and we need to put them somewhere. Oh, exactly. Well, the last time I opened up mine is like 205, and and the problem is when you get so many to dos like that, they be, it it has a stress of its own. It feels like obligation. Oh. You're right. And uh, and so I actually kind of set it all aside for a while and went to a paper system. And I'm still kind of in between trying to figure out how to work the best of both worlds because I really do appreciate analog. There's something very 
visceral and memorable about actually physically writing something down? Well, I'll tell you, there's a ton of research out there that indicates uh, writing, you, memor- you, you remember more, right. and you remember more long-term right. uh, than typing. So yes. there is something to be said for, particularly when it comes to important you know, ideas. You know, I, I, I will always type my books, type my scripts for television or film. I'll always type that stuff. But when it comes to that, that initial idea, I writing it down, I've discovered. And also, let me say this, and I'll shut up, but that I enjoy going back and flipping through my ideas in a planner form more than trying to scroll around, either find them in a file on my computer oh, or yeah, scroll sure. through this super long document. It's just kind of easier for me to go back and review ideas, and I, I find I, I I activate a lot more things by doing it that well, way. Well, yeah, and you and you have a lot more degrees of freedom. You can draw or whatever too to kind of get a shape on your idea or whatever it is. But yes. but what you're describing in your unique creative planner is. Sounds like you don't need to be a creative professional to take advantage of it. I mean, I could be a business owner or I could be a salesperson or whatever, couldn't I? And and take advantage of what you're putting together? Absolutely, because I go back to the very first thing I said in this, this, this podcast, and that is everybody's creative. And the truth is we all need to approach life in a more creative way. So you may be an insurance salesman, you may be a coach or a teacher, uh, you may be an executive, whatever you do. I think this is going to really release you to do amazing things because, as I said, it won't bog you down. But uh, and, and the truth is, I don't care if you're a football coach or, a, like I say, an insurance salesman or a teacher. You've got ideas. Your ideas matter, and so getting them down in a in a in a in a form like this is going to really help unleash them to even make better ideas. So I think that's a great point, Larry. You're exactly right. All right. Well, tell us more about where we can find the Unique Creative Planner. Well, you can, first of all, we have a website, uniquecreativeplanner.com, well, uniquecreativeplanner.com. And that'll show you about it. There's a video on there about why I created it and how to use it. There's a lot of documentation about it and photos, but you can go to Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Um, any any major bookstore can order it for you. It's available. So it's, you can get it anywhere. And it's a, it's a six month planner. This is another thing, by the way, I, I found that even there's some planners that go for a year and that's just too much information to carry around. Other planners are only good for a quarter, you know, three months. And which means you're having to buy this new planner four times a year. So we settled on six months because it's, um, it, it's a, it's a good length of time. Mm-hmm. The planner's small enough that you can drop it into a purse or a man bag or a backpack or a briefcase, whatever you carry. And, um, that really makes a difference. So you can go to Amazon, get it, Barnes & Noble, or go to our website at uniquecreativeplanner.com and you can find all the information you need about it there. Great. Well, I'm looking forward to getting my copy. And Phil, so good to have you on the program again. I know there's so many different topics we can we can explore with you. That's why we've had you on three times. And I'm sure we'll have you on again in the future to dive into <laughs> something else. And I uh, just wanted to say thanks again for being a friend of the Bold Idea Podcast and being on our show. Love what you guys do, and I'm incredibly grateful to be on. Thanks so much. All right. Take care. So, Armin, it's uh, always good to hear from Phil. Yep. He's uh, never changing. <laughs> <laughs> always who he is. Very direct. Very quick. You know, I, his energy level, just he just comes on never so fast. Down, and yeah. it's just like, how does a guy have that much energy and uh, you know, do all the stuff that he does. I mean, he clearly loves what he does. Oh gosh, yeah. And when you see somebody in the zone like he is, and uh, and just moving at it, yeah. it's 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 inspiring in its own way. I mean, it's almost yeah. just like watching a master at work. You know, and it's just, <laughs> I can sit back and listen to Phil all day long. I think it's just true. because he's got so much so much to say. 
But, um, you know, I think one of the things that he, I want to just comment on a few things that he, he pointed out in terms of, you know, some of the mistakes that leaders make. And, uh, and one of them really resonated with me. I want to just chat with you about it for a second mm-hmm. and see if, if this is something you see happen a lot. Sure. And that is, he mentioned micromanaging teams. Yeah. And, and I, I can't think of anything that personally has been more disinspiring than having somebody micromanage yeah. uh, my, micromanage me. Yeah. And as I have been consulting with CEOs and helping with leadership, one of the things that I've seen even at the board level to CEOs is a form of micromanagement that's very subtle. It's not we're standing over your shoulders and we're looking at everything that you're doing, but their focus is in the wrong direction. And I just want to see if this is your experience as well. It's sure. a form of micromanagement. And that is they focus on the how and not the what. They ask, they, they, they are more concerned about how the executive does what they do rather than what it is that they're wanting them oh, to accomplish. Oh, sure. Are you kidding? Yeah, if you look at any Fortune 500 company and the way they do sales and you figure out how what information are they asking for in terms of sales, you realize the metrics that they're weighing out are so pointless. How many calls, how many minutes on each call? Right, right, right. And, and that's a, I think that's an artifact of all the stuff that we have coming at an executive to make decisions about. They're now looking at the, at the underlying mechanics of it and they lose sight on what they're trying to mm-hmm. accomplish. So I just mentioned that because as you're, as you're thinking about your bold idea and as you're thinking about even how you might lead a team, if you're in a company and you're trying to inspire them to yeah. make a bold idea come to reality, you have to be very clear about the what and leave the how to the people that are creating the idea mm-hmm. to figure out how to make that happen. And that yeah. just to me is a really important principle. Um, and, and I think the other thing that, that you know we talked about not taking credit and, um, and taking the bullet. Yeah. And taking the bullet and, and don't take yourself so seriously, you know, and that, mm. that you've got to, you know, give some space for stuff. Yeah. And I think that's really uh, important if you're going to cultivate creativity in your team. And of course, you know, I like the, the suggestion that he had about, you know, when you see somebody that has a dumb idea or a bad idea or has done something not yeah. so well. And, right, you know, I did a good. podcast, the Reinvent Your Me podcast yeah. on how to tell somebody their idea, idea is stupid. stupid yeah. you know? <laughs> but, um, you know, that idea of, of giving specific feedback and, and making uh, finding a place to praise. I think those are good pointers that yeah. we can all remember when it comes to leading and cultivating uh, creativity in our in our teams and even for ourselves. And I, personally, I am very interested to get Phil's uh, planner. I want to, I want to yeah, okay. put it through its good. paces. I yeah. think it'll be good. So <laughs> it's good to have him on the show again. Always, always. I, the only thing I'm wrestling with is uh, I'm remembering the Nick Tassler conversation we had and weighing out what Phil was saying. And it's kind of a juxtaposition of two very different approaches to creative people. Cause they're both targeting creative people. Mm-hmm. But Nick, uh, based on his industrial psychology background is all about constraints yeah right and strict boundaries until it hurts yeah and, and phil, phil is much much broader right. than that give yeah. them freedom let yeah. them fly right you know? <laughs> yeah. i'm curious what the actual balance between the two are we should get them on a on a program and oh that would be share awesome. their ideas together yeah oh my god we'll have a little we'll have a little uh you know forum i would love we should definitely do that that would be fun i'll just instigate the whole time all right so for a future edition look for look for a possible showdown or forum between these two guys and 
And uh, we'll have the uh, Nick Tassler episode as well on our, our per- show notes. I don't remember which uh, episode that is, but we'll include that on the show notes. Along with all of the ways in which you can get a hold of Phil, they'll be on the show notes at boldideapodcast.com slash 81. And uh, we'd love for you to visit that page. Leave us a comment or call our show line at 612-568-IDEA. That's 612-568-4332. Thanks so much for listening to the Bold Idea Podcast. We're so glad you did. And until next time, this is Larry Gates. And Armin Asadi. We're saying so long, go at it, be bold, and put your faith to work. You've been listening to the Bold Idea Podcast. To get our show notes sent to your inbox, visit boldideapodcast.com.